Doing pretty good. Surviving the heat. Well, let's go ahead and open up in prayer. Father, thank you for, for just being good. And you're good all the time. And I'm thankful that we can get back together. It seems like um, we're into a new routine already after not meeting for so many months to where it seems pretty normal now. And I'm thankful for that. And I pray that the COVID season would continue to wind down and that we can just get everything back to normal. Um, just shows me, Lord, that you're in control. You're the creator of all things. And, and um, I'm just thankful that you know what tomorrow holds. I pray now that you would uh, just give us a good time of fellowship, a good time of learning, and I pray for each of the Sunday school teachers and for, for everyone that's participating, Lord, that it would be bring glory to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's good to see some of you back from, from trips and vacations. Let's see, I know Vince and Dwinette are back, and it looked like you had, I saw some of your pictures, it looked like you had a great time. So I'm sure I could probably just step down and let you show pictures up here, and that would be fine, and seeing your big fish and everything else. But uh, And Kent's back. And Mac, you are you were gone too, weren't you? No, we're heading up tomorrow. Tomorrow. Okay. Well, you have a good trip then, too. So I know vacation season and others traveling that I probably missed. So um, I also just want to say thank you to the congregation for um, the affirmation and encouragement the last Sunday evening was. So... You know, we have much to look forward to, whether we stayed or whether we go, you know, it's the blessing of it all. But but certainly we have the wheels in motion to continue to proceed to the hillside properties. So um, I think that time's going to come up on us pretty quickly. But uh, there's a number of things this week and next that we'll be doing on getting this property listed and um, uh, just getting everything inspections done on the new property as well. So uh, lots going on. I'm sure that there will be more details coming as, as we plan for it. But thank you for your involvement, for your affirmation, and, and looking forward to everyone's help to, to get us there as well. This morning we're going to continue on in the One Another series. Last week we, we covered kind of the fruit of the Spirit. Because as I studied the lessons... I couldn't help but find any time that it seemed like there was a reference to one another, there were always, always a lot of other characteristics and things on how to live, uh, how do we present ourselves as Christians. So we'll, the, the one another verses kind of drive the text here, I guess you might say, but when we're in there, we're going to camp out on a few of the verses and continue to look at um, the other characteristics as we go through there. And we'll, I think we'll get just about get through this page today. We'll see. I may run out time it towards the end, but we'll, we should be just about through it. So we're going to start in John 13, 34, and 35. And like I said, we always want to look at it within context. So while that's the main verse, I want to back up and just pick up verse 31 through 35. So if I could have somebody read that for me, that would be terrific. Likes to read. Mac, Jr.
Very good. Thank you. So the key text there as far as what, what's driving it is to have love for one another as I have loved you. So just to give you a little bit more background on this, um, Judas had just betrayed Jesus, and Jesus sent Judas away. Um, Jesus was now talking to the rest of the disciples, and he was giving them instructions about loving one another after he departs. And I'm sure that there was still some confusion among the disciples with, what are you talking about here? Departing, where I am going, you cannot come, he says. Also in context there, prior to Judas, Jesus had also washed the feet of the disciples in another sign of humbling service and and showing love to his disciples. And in um, verse 15, Jesus says, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. So it's not uncommon that Jesus is saying, Hey, follow my example in what I'm doing. Um, He asks his disciples to do as he demonstrated. He's asking them to obey and to have obedience. So where was Jesus going and why could the disciples not come? Well, Jesus was looking past the cross and looking forward to the returning to heaven with God the Father. And at the cross, God and Jesus would be glorified. God's holiness is put on display. And verse 33 is also repeated in John 8, 21, when you see the uh, uh, where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews had asked him this prior as well. Um, but again, it's really, they were still learning And as yet, they did not have the Holy Spirit to provide that guidance yet. They didn't fully understand. I like the statement, though, it says, you will seek me. You know, and I think even as Christians, we seek Jesus by seeking his word today, through prayer, through his word. They were seeking him, and they wanted to find out what was going on there. So I want to just ask you these questions, as noted in those 34 and 35 those verses, Deuteronomy 6, 5 was the old law, right? You shall love the Lord with your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then Leviticus, <coughs> excuse me, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. What's the difference between those sets of verses in John versus the Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Why was this a new law, you might say? Yep. Say that again. Yeah. Right. So if you didn't hear that, he said, you have something to compare it to, and that is how Christ loved. That's the, the in the New Testament side of things. Anything else? That's the right answer. I mean, that's <laughs> so. So that's exactly it. But we see, you know, the, the the key thing here is it was a sacrificial love modeled after his example, and it was going to be modeled more when when they actually see him truly be crucified, right? So now that's real sacrificial love. It's one thing to say, "I will love you." We saw Peter doing that, right? Um, but yet, when when push comes to shove, did they? So, sacrificial love is really now going to be exhibited by what Jesus does on the cross. It's that, we call that the agape love. It's an unselfish, self-giving love. Um, And it's produced through the new covenant by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. 
Again, Galatians 5.22, we looked at the fruit of the Spirit last week. Love is that chief fruit in the fruit of the Spirit. The mark of a believer is love. This demonstrates that you are a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Love is not optional, but mandatory. That will be the theme as we keep going through today, is to look at that. Um, Again, a disciple, I think that's another point. If you're a believer, we're called disciples. And what does a disciple do? They follow and practice what their mentor, their leader, has taught, right? That is an example. So I think in order to do that, I look at it from this disciple standpoint. I have to have a willingness to learn as well, right? I think that's always a key thing. If you're a disciple, do you have a, a tender heart towards learning? If you don't, boy, then that's kind of a hardened heart, too, in, in, in those ways. So I think of that being a disciple as saying, we need to learn from Jesus Christ in this case. Um, yes? Yes. Yeah, it certainly tests your patience, doesn't it? it does. Yes. That's right. I would say that there are, you know, quote, religious people that will try and attempt to do it, and they put on a pretty good facade. Um, but it is, it is very difficult, and I don't think anyone has ever succeeded in that 100%. <laughs> but you are right on that. I would agree. All right, let's go on and look at Anybody else have any comments? Yeah. Good.
Let me ask you a question back on that one. When do you think the disciples really understood what this agape, selfless love meant? At the point that Jesus said it, or in the future? Yeah, I, I have to believe that they probably, when they got received the Holy Spirit, you know, from that perspective, and they reflect back on those words, it's kind of like when Peter, the cock crowed the third time, when did he remember? <sighs> right? And I, I have to believe that many of these things that he's saying to them as prior to the cross, they were following, they were learning, but did they totally understand? And, and I think when that cross hit, I'm sure they were devastated when he died, but the resurrection is where we celebrate, right? Now they can start to see, oh man, that was really selfless what he did for us. And that whole basis in of salvation and everything is based off of the work of the on the cross. It was much bigger than the demonstration of washing the disciples' feet. It was much greater than inviting somebody into your home and showing hospitality. It was, it was to the point of death. That's kind of that agape self, you know, the love that I think that Jesus is describing. That's just some things. Anyone else? Proud. Echo your your Facebook post, the sound of silence, wasn't it? <laughs> All right, let's go on to the next verse. We'll keep going. Can somebody read these verses for me? John fifteen twelve through seventeen. Who'd like to do that? I saw somebody else. John. Very good. So kind of have the bookends of love one another on the, the first verse that we read and on the last one, right? And um, I think it's really restated what we just talked about. And that's the nice thing about God's Word is it's, uh, it doesn't contradict itself, but it, it uses itself to base other truths on, right? But he restates what he said in John thirteen thirty four Again, love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus is our great example and his sacrificial love would soon be understood. How great is his love? Would we lay down our life for someone, for a friend? And I think this is really what it's saying. Is, is this what I'm asking of you? That sacrificial love. Verses 14 and 15. We are friends of God once we become Christians. Abraham was called a friend of God because he enjoyed extraordinary access to the mind of God through God's revelation to him which he believed. We, too, can be called a friend of God. And, again, that seems to follow along with the idea of love. Love is based on grace, isn't it? We're no longer under the law, but of grace. We no longer are servants without knowledge of what the Master is doing. Jesus revealed himself to the disciples and to us through his word. In verse 16, God calls us all to himself not based on any merit of our own doing. 
And um, you think about that. You know, he called Israel. Why? Just because he could, right? There was, did they do anything special merit? No. And I think this is the same thing. Why does he call us? Um, he calls us and we respond. And we know that not everyone does respond. And again, I know this is a getting into a little bit of election. And that's not the main thrust here today. So I'm probably not going to cover that in detail again. But just know that, you know, God calls, we respond. And he, by faith, he asks us to put our faith in, in, in the work on the cross. And as believers, I think the key point here is God does want us to bear fruit and bear spiritual fruit. And it's, you know, that's why I really felt like the fruit of the Spirit tied together with this was so important. Because it's, it's in our Christian life, what do we do? Well, we love one another, but there's also the other characteristics that we are to exhibit as, as Christians. And he wants us um, to um, exhibit those, those fruit, that fruit, right? Love is that primary one. And then lastly, notice that John ties in the thought of prayer and bearing fruit. We ask in Jesus' name, we're aligned with him for his sake and his glory. And our prayers for fruit line up with Jesus' name. God's pleased to answer and give us that eternal fruit. Then the last verse there that we look at is verse 17. And again, he can like I say it's kind of the bookends. But he says, These things I command you, that you love one another. It's kind of that reminder. I always think about, you know, when you, you tell your kids in the wintertime, make sure you put your coat on. And then usually by the time they get everything else on, you say, you got your coat on, you know, you remind him again. So I think there's those things here, like he's just saying, as a reminder, love is the central theme. Remember to love one another. Um, and there's that link between bearing fruit and loving one another. Any comments on these verses? I have one more set that I'll look at. Action, yes. Yep. Right. Yep. Yes. A little bit later, I'll make mention it's not a feeling, but it's an action, right? It's, it's a will. We love out of the will. Um, Today, movies and other things will say, I love you. But do you? How? Did you have your hand up? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we think there's conflict today. They had a lot of conflict back then, didn't they? I don't think there's anything new here with different things when it comes to some of that stuff. But there's some truth. Just to add on to this, John, 1 John 2, 7, 11, this is really the demonstration. Again, you say that you have love. How are you showing this? Let me just read through it. Brethren, I write a note. Let's see. I write no new commandment to you, uh, but an old commandment, which... You have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which things is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. 
He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Again, he's talking about that command to love one another, right? And he's saying, all right, let's look at this in practicality. Are you hating your brother? Hmm, that's kind of convicting potentially uh, for some. They probably did have disagreements, right? Um, Or are you loving them? And he's saying, here's the sign. You have to love your brother. That is a biblical thing. We love one another. We love through thick and thin, right? Um, And it represents that new commandment to love based on Christ's sacrificial love. Uh, We are to imitate this love. The light and the darkness, I always love the contrast between there because you think about when do most crimes occur? It's in the darkness, isn't it? Uh, You think about it, you don't really see too many crimes occurring in the daylight. But that darkness is always associated with the evil. If you look at movies, it's always the good and the bad, the light and the darkness. Things always seem to be worse at night. Yeah, there you go. My parents used to always say, nothing good goes on after midnight, you know, if you're out and about as a kid, right? So get home, because there's more temptation, there's a lot more things that goes on after hours. So, you know, you think about that. but again, I think the mark of a believer is, is that your words and your actions align. We know that even in terms of if there is conflict, while we're out talking about that, the goal of you know, limiting that conflict is really repentance and, and restoration of an individual. So I always think if, there, if you are harboring ill will towards whether it be another believer, whether it be an unbeliever, or, or your brother even as it says here, really we need to get that right, don't we? Get it right, seek repentance, and seek restoration uh, where, where you can. One last verse here that I'll give. Oh, let's see here. Didn't have that one up on the screen. But it's uh, Colossians 3.13. It goes right along with that. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. We'll talk more on that verse later on. Not today, but later in this series. All right, any other comments in that section? Otherwise, we'll move on. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Anyone else?
remember just in my work experience, you have different opportunities. Opportunities sometimes come their way, right? And they'll say, hey, have I got an opportunity for you. Well, this happened once a number of years ago, and it was working for an individual on a special project, and I never felt that he was real ethical. And I'd never turned down work before, but the VP had asked me if I would consider leading this project in on the technical side, and I prayed about it, and I knew he wasn't very good, so I, I, I told my boss at that time, and I said, you know, if this person's going to be the sponsor, I really do not want to do so because I don't think he's looking out for the best for the company. Well, I, I was put on the project anyway and, and, and still had conflict and uh, to the point where one of his coworkers called me one day and even said, Kurt, you, you should not have been treated this way. If that would have been my child, I would have put him in time out the way that he talked to me. Well, I wasn't having a lot of fun with that. But I realized I was missing something, and that was I wasn't praying for that individual. And it's amazing when I started praying for him because nothing else that I could do or say would change. And so I just started praying for that individual. And what changed was my heart because instead of sitting there trying on my own to persuade or whatever, I just said, let God work. And, uh, you know, it was shortly after that that he was <laughs> removed from the project. <laughs> so I can't say that that, you know, I think that, Prayer may have definitely contributed in that way. And if not, that would have been okay too because it was my heart that wasn't right with the individual. He didn't know that. He was a non-believer. But I'm just using that as an illustration kind of like what, Jim, what you're saying. Without the Lord, sometimes it's impossible to work with some of these people. And you probably all have had some situations, difficulties, and conflict in personal life where you could probably say something similar. But the best thing, pray for that person when you're in conflict and they're unloving. Uh, through God, we can we can love them. So, all right, let's go to Romans twelve. Um, let me just go ahead and read this one. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, and distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Um, this was a lot bigger series. I think I actually had a whole sermon on this, so I pulled this in and tried to narrow it down just a little bit to cover today. Um, but Romans 12, 9 through 21 really provides a comprehensive and mandatory list of traits that characterize the spirit-filled life. I think it's kind of addition to... Galatians 5, if you really look at it. Um, in my Bible, if you look at Romans 12, you might see the same heading. It says, behave like a Christian. That's pretty good. I mean, right there, straight up. Behave like a Christian. Well, how does a Christian behave? That's what we're going to look at a little bit more. But again, with children, you say, behave, you know. Um, and they expect you expect them to do so. Um we're going to primarily look at those verses in 9 through 13. A.W. Tozer says this, We can know the right words, yet never be changed. And this is the difference between information and transformation. And I like that. So verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. I'll ask you a question. Can love and hypocrisy be used in the same sentence to define love? Other than the opposites, right? But you would not characterize... Love is being hypocritical. 
say it's not hypocritical, right? A Webster dictionary says uh, the definition of hypocrisy is the false assumption of an appearance of virtue or religion. We see other places, I think in the Greek, when you look at this, it talks about being associated with a, a place. Um, people would play somebody, so it's, it's like putting on a different image than who you are with a mask. A mask is veiled. Um, that's the idea of hypocrisy to some degree. In this case, Paul's saying, for love to be real, it must be genuine. It must be sincere. And then in the next verses, we're going to see further examples of how love is demonstrated by the believer. If you're not being kindly affectionate to one another, or not giving preference to one another, then your love is fake, isn't it? That's bottom line to it. Um, It's in conflict. It's in conflict, and it's, it's really being hypocritical. Then it goes on to say, abhor what is evil. I think we'd all say amen to that, right? Abhor what's evil. Yay! Let's take the hill on that one. And it says, cling to what is good. Ooh, that's a little bit harder, isn't it? Cling to what is good. They are kind of mutually exclusive, but boy, we like to tend to, to float into both of those at times without even realizing it sometimes. Um, but we are said to hate what's evil. 1 Peter 3.11 says, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. I think that, uh, you know, that's where we really have to lean on the Holy Spirit too, isn't it? Um, As you think about it, as we see evil, do we take that second look? Do we take that next peek? Do we venture into something that we shouldn't, that we know we shouldn't? That's a good example of just saying, you know, it's not legalism. But I think it's demonstrating the Christian life. It's behaving like a Christian. Why do I want to stumble into these things? And again, I don't want to be legalistic with it. But if the Holy Spirit's working on your heart, we need to listen. And uh, I'm speaking to myself on that. (laughs) So I think all of us can, can understand that idea. Verse 10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Um, We think of that as that Philadelphia love. Have family affection for one another. Be kind to one another. Um, I was fortunate, you know, I have a lot of good brothers and sisters. So, you know, if I haven't seen them in a while, it feels good to go home and have that affection with one another, isn't it? Maybe some might not have that same example. But I think that's the example we're saying is, is that brotherly love. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. And I think that's true. It's not just to have love, but really it's a seeking of the, the betterment of the other person, isn't it, when you look at that. In honor, giving preference to one another. And uh, the displays of affection should be genuine. David Gazik says this, We should see in this as much as anything a call to simple good manners among Christians. When was the last time that we talked about simple good manners for Christians? Not a lot, was it? But I think it's true, even as adults. we got to sometimes go back to the basics. Uh, football teams, you might see uh, they miss tackles, so what do they do the next week? They have blocking and tackling drills, right? They get back to the basics. Sometimes it's good for us as adults to kind of say, man, I messed up. i got to get back to the basics. <laughs> i got to confess my sin. i got to repent and, and get right with the Lord, right? So it's good to do those things. It's healthy for us to do those things when we, when we recognize it. 
Anyone else struggle with those things or have some ideas on how do we how do we get right? What's some practical ways that we can give preference to one another? What's that? Yeah, pray for them. Yeah, that's right. I even think of something as practical as a, as a fresh pan of brownies. And I always get a kick out of this when we go with, like, go to see Doug and Glee. I'm going to gonna tell on him a little bit on this. So He's not here to defend himself. I don't know. That, are we taping this? Just scratch it if we are. But, you know, if it's in a square pan, guess which brownie Doug will go for? The middle. Yeah. So is he giving preference to me? No. We get we get the end pieces or the corner, right? <laughs> He's thinking of me. There you go. That's it. I've, I've totally misread him all these years. But even something as simple as that with kids or even adults, you know, it's that last donut. It's that last whatever that you may like, you know. Are you going to give preference to somebody else? It's something as simple as that. Yep. That's right. Yep, that's right. That's right. Well, verse 11, I'll kind of spin through this fairly quickly. Again, we're not going to cover too much of this. But not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Again, lagging behind translates a Greek word that means lazy. I don't like that one. So let's just strike that from it. We'll just skip it, right? That would be the nice thing to do. But not lacking in diligence, but having fervent in spirit. So uh, it's really saying don't be lazy in serving God, right? Proverbs 6, verses 6 and 9 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? So having that fervent in spirit literally means to boil in spirit, Uh, The the study Bible, MacArthur study Bible says this, this phrase suggests having plenty of heat to produce adequate, productive heat, but not so much heat that one goes out of control. I always think of if you ever put like pasta noodles in a pan and you crank it up, right? What happens if you don't watch it? 
kind of rolls over the top, right? Well, you got to control that. So it's just perfect temperatures and other foods and things. And I think it's kind of the same way having that fervent, fervent in spirit. It's, it's the aggressiveness, but not too aggressive. You know, it's having that balance of things, right? So we want to just make sure that you're, it's an active, uh, and I think that's the key thing here. So Paul's really saying, don't be lazy in your service to the Lord, but have zeal to serve him. Um, Paul even says in Romans 1, 1, that he was a bondservant, literally a slave to, to Christ Jesus. So again, good verses just to check ourselves. Verse 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Um, rejoicing in hope uh, has the mind of our ultimate reward with Jesus. It's forward-looking, right? Patient in tribulation refers to distress, trouble, or pressure. Um, this is something that none of us like to endure, and yet we're called to have patience or to bear up bravely during tribulation. Um, I'm going to just skip a little bit of this. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. That's an important one. Uh, prayer brings power into our lives and peace into our hearts. We're told to pray continuously. And this is where we get our strength in times of trouble. And I even say, you know, when you're in trouble, that's when we pray. But really, we need to pray also when we're not in trouble. <laughs> and I think that's where our thanksgiving um, and and just adoration to the Lord, then he's given us another day to, to be up and alive. That's a precious gift. Um, we take so many things for granted, and yet we don't think about every breath we take, every word we say. Um, we need to be praying to God in thanks, in adoration, but also in times of trouble to, to reach out and say, Lord, I, I can't do this. I need your help, and, and I, I need your support. Then we also see distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Uh, again, has the idea of uh, uh, partnership or mutual sharing. Uh, it can also mean fellowship and communion. You know, we have a benevolent fund that, that we use here, and that's giving to others through that have need. And that's been a real blessing over the years. We've seen many people that's just had some tough times and that we're able to help help with. And given to hospitality has a love has the idea of a love for strangers. We're to pursue people you don't know with hospitality. Um, you know, during that time, people would often travel, and so they would need a place to stay. And so that was a pretty common thing. So they were saying, given to hospitality, show hospitality, open up, and 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 share your home. So just. I didn't get into all of these verses, and I'm covering them pretty quickly, but that's kind of the summary. Let love be without hypocrisy, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another. And while there's only two times in these, these verses where that one another is used, I think really you could take a look at all these and say one another applies in these things, right? So it's not just those two verses, but, you know, um, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Have brotherly love, give preference to one another, have a zeal for the Lord, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, be steadfast in prayer, distribute to the needs of the saints, be hospitable, bless those that persecute you, bless and don't curse, rejoice and weep with them, have unity with one another, don't be prideful and be humble. 
So now, what I wrote down this morning, I was kind of going over with this uh, material this morning, I couldn't help but think, what if you knew somebody that was like this? Would you like to hang with them? Would they be your friend? They showed all these things? Yeah, I think those are great, great things, wouldn't they be? So then I had to say, am I that kind of a friend? <laughs> right? Kind of challenging, isn't it? Because I think these are all characteristics that we can possess and demonstrate in our lives. So it's kind of a gut check sometimes as we read these things. They all go hand in hand with loving one another. But I think they're, they're very important. All right. I think we've covered this pretty good detail today. So unless anybody wants to cover this more, this is another one, another verse goes right along with the idea of loving one another for he has loved has fulfilled the law skip down to verse 10 therefore love is the fulfillment of the law i think we've covered that pretty good today so i don't know if there's too much i'm going to add to that get to this and then i'll wrap up here these are the ones that how do you have you ever heard a message preached on any of these verses not specifically but I think as you look at it, most of them are, are kind of in the closing of the books. Um, greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. 1 Corinthians 16.20. Again, greetings, greet one another with a holy kiss. Each one of those verses really represents that. Um, this was one that MacArthur had said on that. Kissing of friends on the forehead, cheek or beard was common in the Old Testament. The Jews in the New Testament church carried on the practice and it became especially precious to new believers who were often outcast from their own families because of their faith, uh, because of their spiritual kinship. It signified. I should have looked up when, when did handshakes become vogue or the right thing in America. I don't know when that practice started, but what's that? Yeah, there you go. There you go. Since last week I said we need to be a little retro-reflective on this, so I, I, I had to put down some things for COVID, all right? So bear with me here. Right? We had the fist bumps. Sometimes we didn't even put our hands together. We just did it six feet apart. Then there was the old... I didn't use this one much. Anyone else greet anybody like that? I can't make the heart very good, but you see people on TV all the time doing that. Of course, there's the cute sending virtual hugs, hug sent. I didn't do that either, but maybe some of you did. And the most recent one was uh, two days ago, if you watched the G7. And it's the official one that we'll adopt here. And that's the elbow bump. So I don't know if you saw that awkward moment, but that was kind of funny if you watched about 20 seconds of video seeing all the leaders go through and elbow bump. So anyway... They were not. They were not wearing masks either. That's right. So it's kind of comical what becomes um, acceptable. But, uh, yeah, I think they were definitely not trained. It's not in the etiquette of... And this is why the <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, anyway, I think we're out of time. But anyone else have any comments this morning? Again, the, the series is just kind of meant to be a little bit reflective with what, what we have going on. And, I have yeah. a question that you have for a second. Okay.
So I think there's a couple of things on that. The question was, how does the world know, like from the disciples, for instance, during that time, that, that they will know that, that it's of God? I think back in the disciples, and I think somebody had mentioned even the, the radicalness of the Gentiles and the Jews being of one. In Ephesians, that was a radical book to think that they were now going to be associating together, leadership together. Um, at that time, you know, the Gentiles were not thought of very well. So, you know, to cast out, kind of saying, we came to Israel first, to the Jews, but now this message is going to the Gentiles. Pretty radical in nature. Um, I also think that when you look at... Uh, and I can't remember, I think it was uh, Colson, Chuck Colson, that talked about one of the things that he knew the Bible was true. And I think he said, when you look at 12 disciples keeping the same message for, for, for 40 years, fulfilling um, what they came to earth on and starting the foundation of the church, and basically all dying, martyred lives, um, you know, he said, we had... 12 individuals, they couldn't even keep the same story for three days or something like that. I think it's to the disciples, but I, I think it also really should reflect to the rest of the church. And so I think one of the things that we should see is, well, what is the love? You know, I think it's, it's distorted a little bit today because love is thought of even in some of the social activities that we do. I think the love that we're seeing today is directing, we love people enough to direct them to their true need of a savior. And I think that that message of the cross is really the essential for the church. So, you know, when you have that, it's not just saying I'm going to do good because I want to. What does doing good in itself do? It's kind of a little value, right? Unless there's, we're doing good for the Christ's sake. Um, so I think it's centered around the word of God and the, the, the fact that we are uh, Christ-focused, we share, we evangelize, we disciple, um, much in the same way. And to me, that's going to be the differentiator when I look at other religions, other faiths, and other things. It's having that focus, and it's geared around, not around me, but it's geared around what Jesus did on the cross. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. The ultimate reason is Christ. But I think our actions, all of these things in the fruit of the Spirit are not exclusive to a Christian-to-Christian perspective, but it's Christian-to-the-world perspective. So our lives are speaking loudly to people and how we deal with people. So the way that I respond to you today should be the same way that I respond to the world tomorrow when I'm out in it, you know, and go to work and different things. And I do think that many times our actions are different. They're not as selfless or selfish. They're not focused around what's good for me. But, 
you know, if you put somebody else ahead of you, that's pretty radical too. And I think those things give you opportunity to share Christ and the, the true message of, of what Jesus did for us. That's just my answer. You may have some differences. So, All right. We better close. Thank you, Lord, for just another day for um, your word. Thank you for loving us and giving us as an example of how we should love. And, Lord, that's a, that's a high calling, um, one that we all get challenged by. And yet, Lord, we, we know that um, we're capable of doing so. You've told us that, and you want us to, to show love to one another. So just give us the power to um, uh, just live a Christian life that's pleasing to you, Lord. And I pray for all parts of the service coming up. And just ask that you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.